Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I have no comments today, and uh, that makes me very sad. So please send in some comments. I know that uh, uh, people are really listening to this Moby Dick series. So uh, if you if you really mo- are moved, send us something. All right. Towards the end of our last podcast, Grant Turgeon and I began discussing Chapter 48, which does give us deeper insight into Ahab's crack whaling crew who had stowed away on the Pequod. And so uh, for today's podcast, Grant and I want to continue discussing Chapter 48. And if we don't have enough material, we'll slip on to maybe a few other chapters. All right. So I just want to make a comment uh, about our last program first. And uh, at one point of the program, we talked about um, Fadala's. We're, we're going to try and say that right now. It's Fadala, not Fadella. <laughs> uh, Fadala's uh, race. And I, I uh, Mr. Turgeon said, Grant Turgeon said that he was white. And I said, yes, he was white. And then then I went back and read a little bit more. And it said that Fadella was swart, S-W-A-R-T. And uh, that's just the archaic way of saying swarthy, which means a darker skin. So, so, but, but uh, I, I looked it up, and I'm really glad I did. Um, Melville in the book tells us that he's a Persian fire worshiper, and so he's he's definitely Persian. And now, one thing we have to understand that Persians are considered Caucasian people, and so, so, uh, but it it says when I looked it up online, it said so. Depending on which geographic area they're from, they could be almost like pristine white. But then if they're more in the south, they could be more brown or olive skin. So so uh, anyway, uh, like I said, Neville does say Fadala is swart. And I think what's that, what's, what that means is he could have olive or light brown skin weathered by the sun and wind. But yes, he is Caucasian. And so he is white. So, so now uh, you can learn more about Fadala by reading chapter 50 now. Um, that... That those chapters, uh, I don't think we're on our list. But uh, if we don't get, if, if we have enough time, we, we're going to be taping uh, a, a lot today. So uh, uh, you're going to hear about chapter 51 and 50 and 51. Now, there's one other thing that Melville says about Fadala that I think is absolutely hilarious, and we missed it on the last program. <laughs> And on page uh, 236, it says, The figure that now stood by its bows was tall and swart, so he's talking about Fadala, with one white tooth evilly protruding from his still like lips. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so uh, I think that is just hilarious. And I, we missed that. I don't know. How, how did we miss that? You know, 
Well, I did think it was strange it said one white tooth, but I thought maybe that's the only one we could see. But now that I read this again, it seems like maybe that's the only tooth <laughs> yeah, he actually one has. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing is, he's just, it, it, it could, I, I don't know. We, I guess we have to be a little careful while we talk about this, but he is wearing a Chinese coat. You know, and he, he's in the Chinese things. And I know over the years in the past, uh, sometimes when they have pictured like a Chinese person in a cartoon, they only have one tooth. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, so, so uh, we don't want to put any, uh, in any, uh, you know, ill feelings towards towards Chinese people. But I think it was, uh, I think it was hilarious. Maybe uh, Herman Melville originated that stereotype. <laughs> Maybe he did for no reason. I, I don't. I've never heard of that about the Chinese. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But then I think it's also funny. Um, yes, also in the last podcast, and we mentioned uh, the Pequod crew was shocked and rattled seeing Fadala. I said it right again. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Fadala and his crew of Phantoms take a spare boat and uh, lower it into the sea. So, so yeah, that spare boat really was commonly known as the captain's boat, and so that's why they were so. That was why they were so shocked. Is like, who did they think they were taking the captain's boat? And then uh, they they lowered it into the sea to go after the, um, the the sperm, I mean the yeah the sperm whales. All right, now I think it's also funny, and I don't know if we talked to this or not, but but uh, Ishmael then you know he Ishmael always has to put in his cracks. You know he's he, he's he's the uh, he's the narrator of the story, and uh, at the end of the book he's the only one still alive. So so he he lived to tell the story. But it says there, and by some honest, talking about this crew of tiger yellow complexion, um, you know, we, we call them the cracked whale killers. And it says, and, and by some honest white mariners supposed to be paid spot. He's talking about this, th th these, uh, these whale, you know, these uh, crew, this whale crew of, of, um, of uh, Fadalas. <laughs> I got it again. <laughs> I can say omniscient today too. By the way, wow! I couldn't say it the last time. <laughs> so, so, but notice what uh, this is. Ishmael pops this in. He says, and, and by some white, honest white mariner supposed to be paid, uh, to, supposed to be the paid spies and secret confidential agents of the water of the devil, their lord, whose counting room they supposed to be elsewhere. Wow! <laughs> so, so uh, you know that's that's Ishmael. And uh, he's he's got to have his crack comment in there. I think that's that was really funny. Does it say how many of the uh, the Aboriginal natives of the Manilas there are? Four, five, something like that. I think there's five, four, yeah, four, four. of them, and then Fadala. So that be, makes five total. He'd be the okay. fifth. Yeah, Fadala. I like that. We're we're getting that down right. You know? It's just it's just funny because they've been hiding under this the deck this whole time and. Yeah. And now they come out of nowhere, and Ishmael thinks they might they might be demons, or ba basically, <laughs> yeah, they're, like they're, they're spirits. They've been invisible this whole time, and now they appear out of nowhere. But but they're the the paid spies and secret confidential agents yeah. on the water of the devil. <laughs> one time I I was teasing my one grandson. He was just starting to talk, and and uh, something happened, and I was just teasing. I said, "It's the devil," and. Uh, my daughter called me a few weeks later and said, Dad, I wish you hadn't said that because now he's saying everything is the devil. It's <laughs> the, the devil, devil. The devil. It's the devil. So, so uh, um, 
anyway, let's let's go on. And uh, I've I've talked enough now. Do you do you want to say anything before we get into uh, Stubbs, <laughs> the way Stubb uh, beat his crew? Well, I do just think, <laughs> yes, that's that's another notable part. But it is really just hilarious to me that they're all just staying there in shock. And Ahab doesn't even acknowledge there's five new men on the ship that they've never seen before. He just says, all right, we've got to get the boats out there and, and go on the hunt after these whales. And you'd think he'd want to, to explain what's going on, but he doesn't even do that for them. Yeah, They're all just confused. He doesn't feel obligated to them. No. <laughs> Who is Ahab really you know, obligated to? Probably himself. Ahab. Yeah, and killing Moby Dick. Yeah, yeah. And killing Moby Dick, and actually, some of these other chapters we're going to get into. It talks about that how Ahab was really just into all this for himself. Well, or, I, it also like in one of these other chapters um, that we might be able to cover later. It, it talks about how Ahab had to be secretive about this crew because the owners of the ship didn't really want him to actually go out on the boat and hunt. They'd probably prefer that he stayed back on the ship, uh, trailing behind the boats that are hunting the whales. So Ahab had to basically secretly hire his own crew and go out on the spare boat as if he was a regular part of the hunting crew. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point because he wouldn't go out. No, a captain normally wouldn't. The a boat captain says. wouldn't, and so yeah, so he uh, he had this all planned. He yeah. had he had to personally strike the whale or else it didn't really count to him yeah so i think we, we talked about last time how once they all got out there it was like can you imagine there was five boats now in the water and they're all driving after this pod you know not just one sperm whale it's like a pod of sperm whales you can even imagine how terrifying that would look and and uh, how confusing it could get hmm. you know to have all that and of course you know, he starts screaming at all the crews, you know, the, the, the other four crews that are absolutely, you know, totally freaked out by the fact that there's demons in the other boats. <laughs> According to his, his crew of demons, <laughs> his crew of demons, you know, and uh, uh, but eventually that they settle down to a sense and they have they follow Ahab's orders. But but the lead into what we want to talk about now is there is one unique thing about this chapter and. Um, uh, it, it does give us a discussion of Stubbs, Starbucks, and Flasks well boat coaching styles, and I, I think it, you know, some some things are not going to be surprising. I don't think, but it it's uh, it's Melville. I think is repeating parts of their character that we already know, but it's it, he's he's now showing us how it comes out when they're you know whaling when they're in the boats, and so. So if, if you think about this book, it really is quite a long book. And there's a lot of details in it, but there's a lot of factual information about whaling. And uh, so I'll let, uh, I know you want to talk about Stubb, so I'll let you, I'll let you start out. <laughs> well, uh, Stubb is extremely unique in the way that he motivates his men to continue rowing toward the sperm wells because he's basically, uh, it, the book says he's a mixture of fun and fury. So 
he's alternated between soothing the men and complimenting them. And then the very next sentence, he's like, he's like, row till you die. I'm dead serious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's basically what he's, what he's doing. And so like the, he's cracking the whip, man. He yeah. is. He's cracking the, the whip, but it's also funny. But the crew is too afraid to take him like he's joking because what if he's serious? So they row their hearts out as if he's serious the whole time. Yeah. They'll go from calling them his children and his little ones to saying, you know, break your backbones. <laughs> he's, he's, he's like threatening them and then he's consoling them back to back. Yeah. It's, it, one other thing. Remember now, I don't know how many programs back we talked about how um, Ahab used money to get these guys to come to his side. You know, he's, he offered the, the big gold doubloon, which later in the book we know he takes it back. <laughs> I don't know if you've read that far or not, but I've read this so many times in class that he takes it back. Oh. Uh, he said he's the only one that is deserving of it. But but I can read what you just said. Pull, pull my, my fine hearts alive. Pull my children, pull my little ones. Drawingly and soothingly sidestubbed to his crew, some of whom still showed signs of uneasiness. Yeah, they're still afraid of the demons. He says, why don't you break your backbones? And he calls them boys. So they've gone from children to boys. But then notice just a few lines down. He says, so, so there you are now, that the stroke for a thousand pounds, that's the stroke to sweep the stakes. And so here he's talking about money. He said, let's get out there. Come on, you're not rowing fast enough. Do you want money? And then he goes on to say, hurrah for the gold cup of sperm oil, my heroes. So now look what he's calling them. He said, children, boys, now he's, he's kind of loving them up and calling them heroes. <laughs> so I think that's pretty fascinating myself. All then right. he calls them rascals and dogs and yeah. everything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it says, bite something, you dogs. <laughs> so, so then, softly, softly, that's it, that's it, long and strong. Give way, give way. The devil fetch you, you ragamuffin rapscallions. <laughs> You're all asleep. Stop snoring, you sleepers, and pull, pull, will you pull, pull ye, pull, won't ye? Why in the name of gudgeons and ginger cakes don't you pull? I never heard that expression in my life, and I, I just saw that <laughs> Even when we were in class, I never read that one, you know, but I thought, man, that's funny. That what? is. Yeah. But it is, it is alliteration, you know, so you can see that Melville's using his literary skills. All right, it says, don't you pull, pull and break something, pull and start, and start your eyes out <laughs> here, whipping out that sharp knife from his girdle. Every mother's son of you draw his knife and pull with the blade between his teeth. That's it. That's it. Now do something. That looks like it, my steel bits. <laughs> starter, starter, my silver spoons. Um, starter, marling spikes. So, so uh, I, I think it's funny what what uh, I'll let you finish. It, you know, with, if you want to say anything else at this point. Well, but, it's also funny, not just the language, but the tone. So, Ishmael clarifies that it's not like he's flying into downright passions with his so-called congregation as, as, as the uh, preacher to his boat congregation. Yeah. He's, he has this, this tone and it's, it's like a calm tone where he's, he's threatening your life almost, but then he's joking and he's comforting and it's all just this soothing, smooth tone the whole time. So it's just, 
to me, it's just really funny. Yeah, it's it's almost like well, what I was going to bring out is funny how we both think so much alike. It's it's crazy because <laughs> uh, notice what Melville calls it. He he calls it Stubbs exordium, and that's like sermonizing, you know. And so you just you just brought that up, and so so I wonder. I mean, if you compare him with Father Mapple all the way back, you know, Father, Father Mapple gives you a sermon about Jonah. <laughs> you know, Stubbs says, "Get out there, you." dogs <laughs> put a knife between your throat or between your teeth and let's get these let, let's get this let's let's get going you know so so anyway uh i think i think that's uh that's probably enough on stub i don't know if we'll go back to it but we can come back to more a little bit later on all right the next one is starbuck and it says uh that's the very bottom of page 238 there. It says, Mr. Starbuck, larboard boat there, ahoy, a word with you, sir, if you please. Aloha, returned Starbuck, turning around not a single inch as he spoke, still earnestly but whispering, urging his crew, his face set like a flint from Stubbs. So so they're out there together, and it seems like Stubb wants to talk to Starbuck. But if you look at Starbuck, He's pretty serious. He won't even look at Stubb. He won't even look at him, you know. And so uh, uh, he said, what, what do you think of those yellow boys, sir? He said, smuggled on board somehow before the ship sailed. Strong, strong boys, in a whisper to his crew, then speaking out loud again, a sad business, Mr. Stubb. Seether, seether, my lad. So so he's talking to Mr. St- he's talking to Stubb, but he's also talking to his crew. He's practically whispering almost. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so different. And uh, he says, spring, my men, spring. So so he's not nasty, is he? He's no. not mean. He's not nasty. He says, um, three hogshead of sperm ahead, Mr. Stubb. And what's that you came for? And so so he's he's kind of correcting Stubb there. He said, what, what did you come here for? You know, but notice, and this is what I, I, uh, I think we ought to bring out. Notice what he what he also says there, and, and it reveals his character, which we've already talked about in the past. It says, pull my boys, sperm, sperm's the play. This at least is duty, duty, and profit hand in hand. And so so if you to me, if you look at that that phrase there, he's saying, I'm still loyal to the Pequod owners. This is profit. This is finally what we want to do the sperm oil and we want to get the sperm oil and and we want to get oil so they make their money and um if you if you remember back you know before uh when when he finally realized that ahab had captured him he was still very upset about that you know that he was going to betray the pequot people you know and so so he still i mean he seems like he's he's pretty excited, you know, right? Yeah. Corner. Well, it also seems like this this phrase "duty and profit hand in hand" is also the reason why he hasn't led a mutiny against Captain Ahab yet. Because at least Ahab was smart enough to convince the men that we're going to kill other whales too. We're going to bring in a lot of product and be able to sell it and make a lot of money. Uh, so it's not just me trying to kill. Moby Dick and we're not going to kill any others so captain 
Captain Ahab and Starbuck are both motivated by money, but probably for different reasons. So Ahab just wants to keep the crew happy. They're making money hunting many different whales. Uh, and, and Starbuck is more, more loyal to the owners of the ship, and he wants to make money for them. But you can see how their motivations at least cross over enough to where uh, Starbuck doesn't see a reason to rebel against Ahab just yet. Right. Now, if you, if you look at, at the way Stubb answers, I think it's really interesting. He says, I, I thought as much soliloquized Stubb when the boats diverged. As soon as I clapped you on them, I thought so. I, that's what he went into the afterhold for so often as Doe Boyd Long suspected. And so, so they're still talking about the crew. He says, they were hidden down there. And notice what Stubbs says in, in, in answer to what Starbucks says about duty, duty, and profit. He says, the white whale's at the bottom of it. Well, well, so be it. Can't be helped. All right, give way, men. It ain't the white whale today. Give way. So, so what, what, what he's saying is that this is all fake what we're doing we're, we're fake whaling right now <laughs> we're given the the demon crew practice <laughs> so 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 anyway that's that's those two now again um ishmael has to get his comment in here at the very next paragraph down it's he's saying it's pretty freaky the whole thing he says, now the advent of these outlandish strangers at such a critical instant as the lowering of the boats from the deck, this had not unreasonably awakened a sort of superstitious amazement in some of the ship's company. But Archie's fancy discovery, having some time previous got aboard them, though, though indeed not credited then, this had in some small measure prepared them for the event. So he's, he's still praising Archie. <laughs> Archie heard them somehow down below when no one else could. Yeah. And so he was he was basically warning that there were some phantoms on the ship or some stowaways and they didn't believe him but now they know he was right. So they're yeah. not as surprised as they could be. No, no, now they know he was right. But then look what Ishmael says and this this I love this. This is you know this is my favorite my my favorite character always comes back. He says for me. Now this is down at the bottom of that paragraph. So this is Ishmael's comment. He's not a boat leader or anything. But he says for me I silently recalled the mysterious shadows I had seen creeping on board the Pequod during the, that dim Nantucket dawn, as well as the enigmatic hintings of the unaccountable Elijah. <laughs> so, so he still brings Elijah back. Well, it does change what we know about Elijah now that these shadowy figures are real and they're not spirits of some kind. Now it's like, well, Elijah might not be quite as much of a prophet as we thought he wasn't he he didn't have a, a vision of the spirit realm like it seemed at the beginning of the right. book since right. these are real people elijah probably just knows knows ahab personally and knows that he likes to sneak his own crew on board i think you're right i think that's exactly right is that you know but i think Mo, i think melville sets us up to think that though because he uses the name elijah exactly if he didn't want to set us up with a prophet <laughs> so so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna confess I was stupid there, because I still think it was fun. Uh, uh, anyway, um, th then this is, I think we talked about this last time, but but uh, uh, it says meanwhile Ahab out of the hearing of his officers had 
having sighted the furthest to windward, were still ranging ahead of the other boats, a circumstance beseeking how potent a crew was pulling him. Those tiger yellow creatures of, of his seemed all steel and whalebone. And so, so uh, uh, anyway, that's, uh, that was his, um, his, his take that uh, he, he saw that these guys were pretty tough. Well, they were by far the best crew. That's why they were so far ahead of the other boats. Ahab's got like the special forces rowing him out there, and the other, the rest of the crew can't even keep up with that boat. Yes, yes. Okay, so we're uh, we're, we're going to run out of time before we even thought we were. Um, now, the one thing is, I, I want, I don't want to miss. Let's see if I can find it. It's right after the one about the tiger yellows. Oh, yeah, okay, so as, as, as for Fadala, I said it right again, yes. <laughs> was seen pulling a harp or he had thrown aside his black jacket and displayed his naked chest with a whole part of his body above the gunwale. This guy is amazing. You know, here's an older guy. <laughs> he shows how buff he is. <laughs> he takes his jacket off. Remember, he's still got this, this hair thing going on, and he's got a white turban on, right. you know, so you can see this. I mean, this guy is... is uh, is, is pretty pretty uh, pretty tough. He says, clearly cut against the alternating depressions of the watery horizon, while at the other end of the boat, Ahab with one arm, like a fencer's, thrown half backward into the air as if to counterbalance any tendency to trip. So so it's like it's like you have Ahab. He's like fencing, so he's got a hand up. You know, you he's can, balancing there. It's, it's like they're in this this fencing match, <laughs> and then. Um, What's his name? Fadala <laughs> shows his bod. <laughs> I think that's, I mean, I think about when Melville was writing this, I bet he was just laughing. Well, we also have to mention how Flask climbs on top of Dagu. Oh, yeah. And he's know. like a snowflake on top of a gigantic black mountain. <laughs> <laughs> let's go there now. Let, let's go over there so that uh, we can at least get that in uh, for this for this part. <laughs> okay. That is over on, um, let's see, it's Flask and Dagoo, right? Yes. Yeah, so that's page 241 for all the people out there reading. So, Ed, I'll let you, I'll let you go ahead and talk about that. Well, uh, Flask is trying to see the disturbances in the water and see if he can get, get eyes on this pod of whales down below, and he just can't get a good enough view and so Dagoog just comes across and and offers to put Flask up on his shoulders. So basically Flask is standing on Dagoo's shoulders and then Dagoo puts a hand up and Flask holds on to his hand as as a way to balance himself way up there. Um and and Ishmael says this is probably one of the strangest things he's ever ever seen out on the sea it's already strange enough to see their upright posture no matter how much they get tossed by the waves all these whalers but then to see this tiny king post flask on on dagu's shoulders is even more strange to look at yeah yeah it's really crazy all right let's um i want to just go to one more thing because we're going to run out of time we're going to have to finish this in the next the next program but um that page 243 just real, real quickly uh for all of you out there listening 
that this chapter is an amazing review of what can happen while whaling. And uh, you really need to make sure you really focus on pages 240 to 246. Now we're going to have to come back and talk about this. But the page, uh, up, uh, page 243 at the top. So Ahab's out there and he is giving commands. But look what, look what Ishmael does. This is Melville. Ishmael edits what Ahab says. He doesn't put it in the book. And he says, but what was that unscrutable Ahab said to the tiger yellow, yellow crew of his? These were words best omitted here. For if you live under the blessed light of the evangelical land, only the infidel sharks in the audacious seas may give ear to such words. When, with tornado brow and eye of red murder and foam-glued lips, Ahab leaped after his prey. <laughs> so, so he's not letting us know what Ahab said because he thinks we're too pure. You know, <laughs> right. you come, you're Christians. You can't hear what Ahab said. And so, uh, so, so anyway, I, I think that that is uh, pretty funny. All right. Uh, we're going to have to come back to the last few pages here. But so uh, that's all the time I have for today's program. On our next program, Grant and I will finish. We promise we will finish chapter 48. And then we'll begin discussing chapters 52 and 53. And who knows, we may decide, we may decide to go to 50 and 51. We'll have to see. All right. Now, even though we're coming to the very end of our series, you can buy Moby Dick at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You may be also be you you may be also able to find a copy in your local bookstore. Of course, you can also check your local library. Now, please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can also follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.